Hi, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am thrilled to be joined over Skype today by Jessica Porter. Hello, Jessica. Hi, Howard. Nice to be talking with you. Likewise. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk about your book because it's one of those books that as soon as I heard the title, I thought, damn, somebody is a brilliant marketer. <laughs> <laughs> it just did not leave me alone. And the, the title of the book is, well, why don't you say it? Well, it's the MILF diet, M-I-L-F, and it is, I have not co-opted the acronym. Acronym, it is what people, the original, uh, understanding of it. So for people who aren't familiar with that, I like to say it means mother with whom I'd like to fornicate. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I was thinking it was mother I'd like to befriend, but then it would be a B. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I, I chose that name. I mean, First of all, that's an Americanization of a concept that is not new. Uh, in Britain, we call them like yummy mummies, or even in the United States, we just refer to sexy women as hot moms, you know, a woman who's had children or a woman who's of a certain age. So MILF is the slightly more, um, you know, it's a cruder way of saying it, but it is an acronym that actually has gotten some traction above and beyond its component words. In other words, there are many women who don't mind being called MILFs. It's, uh, it's on, you know, uh, network television, um, with a, a sassy wink. So, so, I, so I wanted to ask about that, whether, you know, because I was so impressed with the marketing idea of, you know, a, a book on health and nutrition and well-being that takes that sort of sassy wink angle. And so I, I'm, and I'm curious, did, was it just marketing or is there for you real significance to that concept of being of a certain age and being really hot and sexy? Um, for me, it was a very real concept. I, you know, it's funny that you are, um, pointing to the marketing angle because it is sort of obvious that that's why that would, word be, would be used. And yet, had we done any market research, I think we would have found what we've discovered since the book come, came out, which is that word hits such a nerve, Howard, that it hasn't been helpful. In fact, the title has closed every door we thought it was going to open. And... I would say, in retrospect, it was not a good choice for marketing purposes. And yet, the publisher, my agent, everyone at the publisher, you know, and everyone I spoke to, um, like yourself, thought it was a great idea. It actually got in the way of many marketing opportunities. Hmm. I mean, to be to be very specific, uh, you can't use that word on daytime television. Okay. So, you know, I was booked to be on Access Hollywood, which is syndicated throughout the day in various national markets and um, or markets nationwide, and the NBC Standards and Practices Department said no. Um, that happened a number of times. So it actually wasn't the greatest marketing idea in the world. Intuitively it was, but it didn't pan out that way. All that said, I, cho I, I stand behind that title very strongly. I think... And I say this in the first couple of pages, what that word does, I think, and possibly why it touches such a nerve, is that it unites maternity and sexuality in one person, in one body. And 
and in one acronym. And I think that's incredibly empowering for women. I think that our maternity and our sexuality has been, you know, they have been teased apart in our society. There's like a taboo against bringing them together. And uh, every woman is a whole organism. And the thing about eating macrobiotic food, about eating whole foods on a regular basis is one becomes whole. <laughs> and that is like, that is an incredibly trippy experience in this culture because our culture is repressed. Our, it's not just our sexuality that's repressed. All sorts of parts of ourselves, our spirituality, our connectedness with one another, our intuition are all repressed. I mean, I'm not trying to be conspiracy theorists about it. I just mean that we live in a world that errs on the side of keeping individuals contained. And when you eat nature, when you eat the energy and the chi of nature, you become unfettered in an orderly, beautiful, natural way. And it's all good. Um, so in my journey of being a whole person, all these parts of myself coming together, um, has been beautiful, sometimes scary, um, definitely kind of radical. And I thought the title and what the food actually does for a woman made sense and lined up. I also, I know I'm not letting you ask questions, but I will. <laughs> I also, um, you know, uh, called on the help of many women for this book who had been practicing whole foods cooking or macrobiotic way of life for many years altogether. It was 400 years of macrobiotic practice and 37 children among the, among them. And these women are sexy, not sexy in the way that we like to see, you know, naked bodies on television, not that kind of sexy. I mean, although, you know, some of them are, but they maintain this essential spark in their bodies, in their overall energy systems that is really a testament to nature's power and nature's sexual energy. Right. And it, that's it. <laughs> well, it's beautifully, beautifully said. And one of, the, one of the things that really struck me in the book was that you said that the, the term MILF, one of the reasons you chose it is that it was a very, like a masculine originated term. It was used by men, but it's, and it's one of the few sort of, you know, Maxim magazine type terms that was embraced by women. They're like, hell yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I did, the American press has been very, um, like I said, it's hit a nerve around this, but uh, the Canadian and British press has been slightly more open-minded about it. And I did a big interview on a national radio show in Canada called Q. And the whole debate was about the term MILF. And it was this very interesting conflict, Howard, where the premier of British Columbia, and that's tantamount to the governor of, like, New York State, the premier of British Columbia, who was a, a woman in her early 50s, was doing an interview with a DJ in Vancouver and he, asking a question that had been submitted by a Twitter follower, asked her, what's it like to be considered a MILF? And she said, I don't mind it at all. Better MILF than Cougar. <laughs> now, that was her response. 
the DJ was fired for asking the question. And that is an example of the chasm here between the two sort of reactions to the term. What I said in the radio interview was, MILF is never said in a derogatory way. No one says, oh, that's stupid MILF. <laughs> MILF is, is, is an expression of sexual desire, as is the word bombshell or hot or whatever it is. I mean, we live in a world where women want to be considered sexually attractive. So do men. And the law of the universe is there's going to be electricity and energy between them. And this is just one of the ways of expressing that electricity. I understand it contains the F word, but frankly, I find it insulting to think that we project onto women that they never think the F word themselves. You know, it's almost puritanical to sit there and be like, ooh, don't say that nasty word to me. It's like, you've never thought that word? You've never wanted to do that word? I mean, I know I'm getting into, you know, explicit territory here, but it's just sex. Well, and, and, I, and I love that the connection here to sex, you know, where we're, where we're going to go and why we're having this conversation is, is, is going to lead us back to food and, as you say, eating nature. Um, you know, another, another way in which there's, there's sort of this, these beautiful opposites coming together is what I, what I hear is that eating nature kind of undomesticates us a little bit, and yet it's through the most domestic arts that we get there. Oh, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, you're talking about us becoming a little bit wild. If we're if we're eating Jack in the Box and McDonald's and and Swanson and and processed foods from factories, you know, we're going to resemble those foods. If we if we pull things from the garden or eat as close to nature as possible, we become a little bit wild. Well, I think it it, it points to how much we underestimate nature. I mean. Once we're filled with all those sort of crappy foods that come out of factories, we don't even, we can't even perceive nature's power. We don't really connect with it. It's, you know, we see it more through a screen than we see it in real life. It's, we're not sensitive to it. All sorts of layers of like chemical and saturated fat, you know, interferes with that. And yes, when we start putting these foods in our body that still contain not only life force, but, you know, people often refer to food as fuel. And I say to them, when was the last time you went to a gas station and put gas in your car and it reupholstered the seats of the car? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, fuel is just an incredible insult to food. Um, and then they'll sometimes call food medicine. And I'll say, well, that's a little better because food definitely has the capacity to enable us to heal ourselves. But... Even the word medicine, we can, we, we, you know, there's the whole implied in the word medicine is the idea of side effects and idea that it's, you know, untasteful or distasteful. Food is nothing less than magic. And we are only beginning. I mean, Colin Campbell talks about this as someone who studied nutrition his entire career. We're only beginning to touch the tip of the iceberg of what food does because we're only beginning to look at it as in synthesis with other foods and other processes in the body. Um, like we don't get it at all. And that's where I think we have to really elevate it to the level that it is, is that it does make us, it's radical. It, you know, 
what did you say? Undomesticates us? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it domesticates us because our home, our domicile, is nature. It's not society. I mean, society is a domicile of sorts. It's not our home that we live in, that we've constructed. Our actual home is the sun and the moon and the sea and the earth and the minerals and the, you know, magma at the center of this whole spinning ball. That's our real home. So really, I think it domesticates us to the actual home. Yeah, I, I love that, that food is magic because it's, it's kind of one of the only words that we have to, to describe something so vast that, you know, that our, our society simply doesn't have the, the, the dimensionality or the bandwidth to, to incorporate. Um, you know, when you say medicine, I'm thinking about the first time I heard medicine spoken in a Native American context, as in, you know, take this walk down to the lake. It's good medicine. Huh. Beautiful. <laughs> you know. But so so let's let's get into the book a little bit. I was very surprised by kind of the first thing you have us do is not, you know, a pantry redo or more education. You tell us to chew. Yes. Yes. What's up what's up with that? Well, I really think that this whole transformation that people are capable of making if they want to hinges on experience. I mean, you and I could go to lectures till we're blue in the face and we will only end up going home and doing 5% of what they tell us. I mean, I'm just making up that figure, but we all know from experience that you can't tell somebody to do something that they're not motivated to do. Um, and so what I thought I would do was create, well, let's put it this way. These foods that we're talking about, these foods that have magic in them, they literally have an intelligence and I don't mean that they think, but they have their own DNA. They have their own uh, growth cycle. They have their own history. And when we put these foods, and specifically whole grains, in our bodies, things happen. We change. Our bloodstream changes. The quality of the blood going to our organs changes. Our thoughts change. And I thought, you know, we read so many books in our lives where the information just goes in, it affects us for like a week, and then it goes out, and then you just go back to what you do anyway. And if you're continuing to eat Hostess Twinkies, then the book hasn't had much impact. But if I tell people to do the most simple thing, and cooking grains is exceptionally simple, like it's very difficult to wreck a grain, chewing is something that every human, barring people with serious illness, can do. And I know from my experience that, you know, I'll say to people about whole grains, whole grain is a powerful thing. If I, if I plant a whole grain in the ground, a whole new plant grows. That's enormous energetic reproductive capacity. It's magic. I can't make that happen. I couldn't go and take out a science kit and create a whole grain. It is part of God. <laughs> If I plant a piece of pizza, a pizza tree doesn't grow. So the wholeness of this grain has a particular quality that is really, really powerful. And when I take a thousand of them and eat them for lunch, I change. So chewing that whole grain just increases the transfer of that energy. And I could, I mean, I could talk to you for an hour about chewing. Um, but we don't need to go into that. Let's just 
let it suffice to say that complex carbohydrates are better used by the body when they are masticated in the mouth properly because our digestive enzymes specifically active on complex carbohydrates are most abundant in the mouth. And our, that's what our saliva is for. When I don't chew grains and vegetables and beans, these complex carbohydrates, well, I don't feel satisfied. The glucose doesn't get to my brain and I end up looking for, you know, sugar after the meal. So it's just an efficient way of eating healthy food. Well, I, I don't want to talk about um, chewing for an hour, but I do want to follow up a little bit. Which uh, with w- one thing is that um, part of what I think the value of chewing is is that it brings about a sort of transparency, a, f- a, a real feedback loop. So you you know you're talking about tr- chewing whole grains or you know legumes or you know the, the kind of foods we you know we're we're designed to eat and that can can really nourish us but if you can also chew you know a McDonald's hamburger or a slice of pizza like when you chew anything well you get a lot more information about it very well said and you get more nutrients from it and you get more energy from it i mean one of the qualities of saliva is that it's alkaline and so even the most acidic or toxic food you're actually neutralizing some of its nasty elements simply by chewing it. So, you know, there's magic in that as well. But that's very interesting that you should say that because when you do chew something, say, 30, 50 times, you can in no way remain in denial of what it actually is. (laughs) You know, like a piece of steak just becomes this very, you know, what's the word, like sort of gamey, gristly stuff in your mouth and it loses its taste rather quickly brown rice when you chew it 30 to 50 times gets sweeter and sweeter and you actually see oh this thing just keeps exploding this is like a positive nuclear bomb (laughs) And, and the other thing I wanted to say about chewing is from personal experience you can tell me okay you're going to do a seven day juice fast and I will go and I will be compliant about that you can tell me okay you're only going to eat you know macrobiotic uh, you're going to you know brown rice and uh, burdock root and I could be compliant with that if you tell me I'm going to have to chew everything 30 to 50 times I find that much harder and I'm wondering if uh, if you you come across that with people that you teach that that, that we have, you know we have this resistance to that kind of mindfulness around our food is it just me and uh, uh, if so what's it about it's very interesting you should say that. I've really studied this sort of in depth. First of all, it's difficult to chew certain foods. Very sweet foods, uh, fruit, they're just harder to maintain in your mouth for that long. So you need to concentrate on the grains and the vegetables. Um, they just are fundamentally easier to chew. And even when if you add a little pickle to it, it'll create more saliva and that helps. But second... What we're proposing in terms of chewing is counterintuitive. We have gotten into a habit just in terms of our our mouths and our throats to swallow things very quickly. And that needs to be overcome, and that takes practice. On top of that, it's difficult to chew when you're hungry, uh, which might seem like it makes no sense. But So there are obstacles that 
for instance, I, you know, I find it difficult to chew every bite at every meal. It requires a lot of attention. Um, and that's why I do chewathons on Facebook where we go for like a week and we have a bunch of people chewing for a week in order to see the results that you get from that kind of longevity. One thing that comes to me is when you, when you spoke about the magic of that whole grain and, you know, that that's for you, that's God is, you know, that's, that there, there's a mainstream point buried in my own religious tradition, which is Judaism, which is, you know, the, the prayer that probably you know, most Jewish kids learn how to say is the, the prayer over bread, which goes, you know, blessed are you, Lord, ruler of the universe, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, which means literally who brings forth bread from the earth. Mm. And, and, you know, I've never seen bread come forth from the earth. So for me, that's... Uh, you know, it's it speaks to it speaks to magic that the act of of grains coming out and then you know human beings in partnership then turning it into into food um, that there that there is a, a mystery element that the 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 prayer skips some steps on purpose. Interesting. Interesting. I I have to think about that because I really take issue with the fact that we. You know, in very few cultures, are whole grains still whole, and that we do so quickly process them into other things. And I understand that on some very basic levels, but at the same time, any processing of a whole grain really inhibits the energy and the power that we're describing. And so often, people will be like, "Oh yeah, I eat whole grain bread. I have whole grain noodles, whatever it is." Or even these days, there's a grain of phobia that's been started by the paleo diet. Um, where they're even anti-whole grain. And I don't know that, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, I don't know that people really have the in-body or mind experience of eating whole grains for periods of time. It would make sense that they don't because they're not really available anymore. And that's, to me, where the power is. Um, I wonder if, I don't know, I mean, that... Prayer sounds like it's in original Hebrew, so it must say bread coming from the earth. But did it not also mean grain? Um, I think that's a little bit over my pay grade. I can go. I can go do some some poking around. Um, well, I just find it interesting that I don't know. Bread is getting such a bashing these days, and uh, and it's really unfortunate. And the other thing I was thinking about it the other day is. You know, the way whole grains make you feel, especially when they're chewed really well, is peaceful. Deeply peaceful. Like they're full of B vitamins, which calm the nervous system. That complex carbohydrate, when it's absorbed well, causes the brain to just feel balanced and serene and relaxed. And all this craziness, as you would say in Yiddish, like the mishigas of living in today's society, of constantly craving something new, constantly regretting something that's happened in the past, carrying resentments. When I eat whole grains and chew them well, all of that slips away, almost like I've meditated for an hour. Hmm. And one of the reasons I think stuff like, you know, the paleo diet, you know, you know doesn't embrace grains as the center of the diet and I mean, that diet in and of itself is quite interesting. The philosophy and the kind of imagery behind it is about this, like, pre-government, pre-civilization, pre, -government, pre 
civilization wildness, this essential manliness that we're all meant to have or men are meant to have deep inside before we were controlled by other things. And the macrobiotic diet or grain-centered diets, actually their philosophy, their imagery is about peace and happiness. And I thought to myself the other day, no wonder this diet, the whole grain diet, gets less traction than other diets in our society because our society isn't about peace. You know, like nothing in the infrastructure mentally or even economically is about just sitting there enjoying it. That's hilarious because the, 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 on my notes, my next question to ask you without knowing we were going here was, you know, you talk, macrobiotics talks a lot about yin and yang and yin and yang foods and yin and yang energies, meaning sort of a, an archetypal feminine and masculine. And, I, and my note says, is there a connection between an increase in animal food consumption and our yang hyper-masculinized culture? And, and at this point, I'd like to add to that, it seems to me that a whole grain is sort of a, a pregnant energy. Well, I was just going to say, I think one of the reasons that I aim my books or aim this book in particular at women is that I think women are sold on peace much more easily than men are. And I don't mean that men object to the concept of peace, but I mean, I've worked in homes where we were feeding both members of the couple, feeding them macrobiotic food, and the husband was a very, very efficacious businessman. And he came in one day after he'd been eating the food for about 10 days, and he said, I just don't want to bang the desk like I normally do. <laughs> and he was disappointed by that. I mean, that bothered him. And um, and I'm not, you know, these are big generalizations about men and women. If we talk just about the energy itself, yes, like peaceful plant-based energy is more yin. And yin force, according to macrobiotics, because those words yin and yang get turned around if you're talking to an acupuncturist but within macrobiotics yin is feminine force it's soft it can be compliant but really i've heard the saying yang or yang wins the battle but yin wins the war like yin is the overreaching expansion of the universe it's the big energy behind everything and so when we eat plants, we get in tune with that. Our culture, which has binged on animal food for the last 50 years now, I mean, it's like doubled its um, intake of animal food since the 1950s and is set to double again, is only getting faster, hotter, more myopic, more self-absorbed, more, and I'm not suggesting all meat in any quantity is bad, but the quantities that we are consuming it in are unprecedented. The quality is very bad. And yes, I believe it's creating an urgency, a pressure, and a self-centeredness that really, at the end of the day, doesn't work for us. Mm. I mean, look what's happening in Congress right now. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not going to like point it straight to meat, but you have like a tiny faction within a faction within a faction like holding so hard and so fast, I'm absolutely obstreperous and and stubborn to the point where it's going to bring the whole thing down or could. 
Well, well I, I was going to say that you know it's interesting that my my friends who are paleo and and the blogs that I follow that are that are paleo, one of their key metrics of your physical health is testosterone. Wow, interesting. Right, they see they see that as the you know if you're if you're reproductively fit, that's the that's the universal definition of health. Right. As opposed to you know the like the way a grandma would be fit, which is you know to be able to nurture generations beyond her. And guess what happens when you're in a relationship with a woman, and you are exchanging energy with the other side of the reproductive coin? What happens to your testosterone? It goes down. What happens when men have babies? Their testosterone goes down. And it's meant to. Because men are meant to reproduce and, you know, find mates, sometimes multiple mates. And, you know, you are the bees that are, are, are pollinating the flowers, no doubt. But there is a point in a man's life where other chakras need to open too. And they need to participate. I mean, in, in the exchange with other energies. Um, yeah, I find the paleo movement very interesting because, because it is, is spearheaded by so many men and men have this wonderful yang force. I mean, that is the natural default mode of a man's energy and yang force means being social and articulate and putting something out in the world and, and commanding attention and pushing things forward. That's a really great masculine quality. And so these men who have found like their perfect diet and lifestyle are so vocal about it hmm. and really have gotten a huge movement partially because they're men feeding their manhood. And, you know, the hippies, meanwhile, have been sitting around for the last 40 years kind of all zenned out. And they don't put, they don't push their agenda quite so hard because the food they're eating won't let them. But the paleo guys are eating so much meat that they have all the energy they need to, <laughs> to push their agenda. And you know, bless them. There's a lot of good things about the paleo diet. Not eating dairy, not having processed food, not eating refined sugars and carbohydrate. Like, that's all good. And I would never begrudge anybody those decisions. It's just at the core of the diet. It's not the way I choose to eat. And I don't think ultimately it supports a person's health quite as over the long haul quite as well. Right. And, and, and you know, unless our population, you know, gets cut by, by a factor of 10,000, it's not a sustainable way to live on our mother. Yes, correct. It is not. Uh, so uh, I know you have to go pretty soon. I wanted to ask you um, a couple of, of, of strategic questions about how to move in the direction of better eating. And you, you recommend something called grains and greens, which is a very gradual approach, which is quite different from a lot of the people, let's say, in the, in the, you know, the heavily plant-based movement or the vegan movement who advocate you've got to make the switch all at once or else, or else your taste buds are, are forever confused. Can you talk about the, the gradual approach? Yeah, I mean, it's more the approach that, that I took, I was never a vegan per se. I mean, I still eat a little fish here and there, but I was also just never an animal rights person, meaning that was never um, what I led from. As I have practiced this diet over many years and realized that I've probably spared a lot of animals in the process, I am 
very grateful for that. And I think animal rights activists are awesome. However, that I'm a people's rights activist. Like I'm, I'm more human centric in many ways. And the transition I made started with adopting whole grains. And like I said, I really felt like there was an intelligence in the grain itself that then hijacked my path. And that path included minimizing and at certain times totally eliminating animal products. So I felt like that was a byproduct of picking up whole grains. Um, I think whole grains have the most intelligence and the most power to change somebody's direction in life than any of the other foods or taking out any other foods. So I always thought what a, how simple and elegant it is to just add one thing and let the whole Titanic turn around. Now, you can't, it doesn't just turn around from eating whole grains. Eating whole grains causes you to make intelligent decisions. Um, but yeah, I just never led with take out the animal protein. And I respect people who do. I understand it. I think it's a smart choice, but I think there's many, many ways of getting, you know, getting to the center of this, this wheel. Mm. And so one, another thing you talk about is, um, sort of stealth health. Yes. Um, yep. I, I, I love that. Um, can you talk about how, how that works? Well, I just think that anytime I've ever told anyone to do something around food, they probably left my presence and ordered a pizza. Um, I don't believe talking about healthy food does much, except if you are in the presence of people who are, who are open to hearing it. And chances are, if you're the mother of a family, your children are not open to hearing you lecture about health food. And your husband is not open just by virtue of the familiarity breeding contempt in a family. I mean, it's well understood that teachers teach their families last. So I just encouraged mothers in the book to just shut up, you know, put kale on the table with lots of soy sauce and sesame oil, fry it up, throw, you know, serve them rice cream instead of ice cream once and don't mention it. <laughs> just see if anyone notices and let the food do the talking. The food is insanely powerful. You know, I have an 82 year old uncle and he was having issues, digestive issues. And I said, you got to start eating whole brown rice. And he did. And almost every single time I got on the phone with him, he goes, you know, that brown rice really helps. And, you know, at 82, you're worried about regularity and constipation and stuff. And when he eats brown rice, that problem is completely taken care of. And he brings it up because the proof is in the pudding. It's not in the lecture. And I think the more family members talk about what other family members should do, the more you drive them away. Mm. Yeah, and we're and we're discovering that. You know, I'm in uh, I'm involved in a project here in a small town in North Carolina, which is sort of you know, comfort Southern Comfort Food Central, where we're putting people on whole food plant based diets for ten days. And um, providing them with lunches and dinners, and I was sure that ten days was way too short to see any sort of meaningful changes. Yeah. And it turns it turns out that in ten days, people's cholesterol drop, you know, often thirty forty percent if they're at the at the high end. 
uh, triglycerides drop, uh, LDL cholesterol drop. Some people lose 15 pounds. Amazing. And, and they're eating, you know, these are big portions. Like, yes. <laughs> like, you know, 16 ounce lunches, 20 ounce dinners. Nobody's hungry and they can snack as much as they like on, you know, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, stuff like that. And it, it really is humbling. Like, how little power we have as individuals, but but when when we, when we ally ourselves with these plants, how how you know the entire you know um, generative force of nature just surges through these meals into into oh. people's bodies. And that's a really beautiful way of looking at. It. Like I really think that the universe wants to surge through us through every cell. I mean, we are the universe. It's we are its home, and it wants our body. And as soon as we give it up, it just takes over like weeds through concrete, you know? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great yin metaphor. <laughs> well, thank you. And I saw it myself at the Kushi Institute when people would come for a week-long training and they'd arrive on a Sunday night and they'd be grumpy Monday and Tuesday, feel okay on Wednesday. And on Thursday, they would have what I called the Thursday morning feeling. Every single week, like clockwork, it was like they just graduated from high school. People woke up and rashes had disappeared and, you know, sinus conditions had cleared up and they felt amazing. And it never failed. Um, and I agree, it is very humbling. It is very humbling. You know, we have our degrees and our opinions and our ancestry and we're all, you know, cushy and comfortable in our own egos. But... I see it work either way. If I clean up my food and make it really clean for 10 days, I'm a completely different person. And if I eat crappy food for 10 days, I'm a completely different person. And people don't want to know that. You know, the ego doesn't want to, doesn't want to admit that, but it's really true. It's really true. Right. We're just, we're just a thin layer on top of a whole lot of, uh, of biology and spirit, aren't we? Yeah. A very volatile chemistry set and a beautiful one. A beautiful, magical, self-healing chemistry set. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Right. So is there anything that you wished I'd asked you about that I didn't? Oh. Congress? No, just kidding. Yeah, because I have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the book that we haven't talked about. Um, I'll, just, I'll just give people a taste. You know, I, I love the way you refer to skin as the body's report card. Uh, how you talk about aging and i do I do want you to talk a little bit about um reductionism because you you have such a great metaphor when you 're talking about like you know soy protein isolate about you know your dog bucky oh, you mean like when we tear things apart yes could you yeah, talk, I think talk a little bit about that, that re- reductionist um mindset and and, and sure we do believe that. You know, if all the component pieces of something are present in a food, then that sort of counts to a scientist as a whole food. Even though it's been put through a masher and a grinder and a spinner and a, you know, stuff added back to it and then, you know, formed into a loaf. Um, but that's denying this essential chi of nature. I mean, there is this, life force called chi or prana or ki that we haven't accounted for yet in science. And we still, in Western medicine, look at the bits and pieces of things. And 
But the bits and pieces don't make a whole when you try and Humpty Dumpty them back together. And uh, so, yeah, if I took your husband and his name is Carl and I put Carl in a Vitamix, you know, <laughs> gave Carl back to you in Ziploc bags, technically it's still Carl. <laughs> and yet, of course, it's a tragedy and it's not. Um, so I think it's just really important that we honor wholeness and even if that sounds very trippy and hippie and like not cool and scientific it's a very real phenomenon and when i eat whole things it supports my wholeness and guess what there is a wholeness to jessica and it's not her ego it's much bigger than that it's much bigger than that. i mean when you get into the actual power of being human of what the energy that comes out of our chakras the energy that we emanate just through the our hearts, the magnetic field that we give off with our hearts, and how that is transmitted to other human beings. It's a big, big game we're playing. And when we drink coffee, which I think is the devil, and and like and make our minds all crunchy and dualistic and negative and we reduce our energy just down to the bits and pieces of our body, and we eat all these broken things that keep our consciousness broken, you know, we're limited. We're very, very limited, and we suffer. And it's it kind of needless suffering. Right. And, you know, I went through that that journey with, uh, with uh, T. Colin Campbell in, you know, in writing Whole and in seeing his journey from a, from a completely reductionist worldview. You know, if if you follow through reductionism to its logical, integral conclusion, you get to holism. Wow. How? You know, you look at the pieces and you find more and more pieces. It's the same as, you know, sort of particle physics, where they cut things into smaller and smaller bits. And finally, what's the name of the particle they're looking for? The God particle. Right. They're like, "There's, there's no there there. It's all energy. It's the subatomic field doing something we don't understand yet. But yes, amazing. Yeah, I yeah, love I that. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. just saying in macrobiotics, everything at its, at its extreme becomes its opposite. Like yeah. yin and yang are flipping into one another all the time, and we just don't see it that way. Um, right, but right. it's what's actually happening. You know, like an acorn becomes an oak, which becomes a bunch of acorns, which becomes a bunch of oaks. It keeps going back and forth. Right. Well, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I can't remember the last time I I got into such sort of uh, you know philosophy and uh, you know hippy trippy stuff that you know well, that I I usually have to keep bottled up because I'm in a you know in a <laughs> respectable scientific field. But I really enjoyed exploring it with you. If people want more, if they uh, they want to get your books, read your blog, follow you. Um, get more guidance, where do they go? I would point them to uh, either, I have two websites, one's for the first book, hipchicksmacrobiotics.com and then the second book is the MILF Diet Book, no, is it called? Yeah, milfdietbook.com and both of them have recipes um, I tend to blog on the first one a little more than the second one, but you can sign up and get sent my blogs from from there. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I tweet less than I Facebook, though. All right, tweet I'll, I'll, don't understand. I'll put some links to to those two websites on the podcast page for this interview. 
And Jessica Porter, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed our conversation. Howard, it was a pleasure. And when I remember what I wanted to say about chewing, call you back. Okay, good. We can do a little addendum. We can, we, we can chew it some more. Yes, we'll chew on that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye.